minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. North to south, east to west, up and down and around the Anarchist World This Week. My name's Joseph Toscan, I'm hosting the Anarchist World This Week. And as I said before, well, maybe last week, if you want scintillating, exciting radio, switch off, switch off, go on to some easy music station. If you want to uh, exercise your uh, neurons, well... Maybe you should think about leaving the dial on this uh, on the number. And if you listen to the podcast, you've made a conscious decision to be bored. All right, you wonder what anarchy is all about? An anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures, which are based on equal decision-making power. That's direct democracy. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. And why? Why those two concepts? Those two principles? It was very simple. Anarchos, anarchism, without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power, you hold wealth in common. It's inequalities in power and wealth which create most of the problems that we face as individuals and communities in societies, not just in Australia, but around the world. Now, I could do the old good news, bad news, good cop, bad cop routine, but I'm not going to bother about that. Now, cancer. Now, there may be some people listening to this program who survived cancer, and there may be some people listening to this program who are battling with cancer. But as far as cancer is concerned in um, in Australia, the news has basically been reasonably good in many cancers which were considered to be incurable just a decade ago. That's because a lot of effort, energy money and research has gone into finding ways to uh, not only cure cancer but actually contain it. But when it comes to the cancer which is creating havoc in Australian society, that's privatisation, there's no cure. No cure. No research. Nothing. What we've seen over the last 40 years is government policy and government legislation at both the local state, at the state, federal, even the local level, that has actually fed the privatisation cancer. Now, if you listen to people and you listen to their gripes, which I kind of do, but getting a bit bored... 
because people don't seem to put the dots together. Well, many people don't. I'm sure every listener to this program has put the dots together, and that's why they're listening to the Anarchist World this week. You find that many of the issues which are raised in terms of cost, in terms of control, are directly linked to the privatisation of some of the most basic, necessary services in any society. And what we've seen over the last 40 years is this cancer slowly eroding people's economic power and also their personal options. It's a big, it's a big statement to make, isn't it? So where is the privatisation cancer spread to? And again, you've got to remember, these are political decisions which have been made by governments, which have been elected by people who've swallowed the lie. You call it, I don't use the word fake news, just lie, plain lie. That, because if you call something fake news, it kind of gives it a little bit of essence that it doesn't deserve, credibility it doesn't deserve. It's a lie, okay? Who have followed the lie that privatisation increases access to a service, decreases costs. Now, privatisation has occurred in some of the most unlikely areas of human endeavour that you can imagine. It ranges from the cradle to the grave. We've seen the privatisation of the childcare industry. It's an industry. Let's be realistic. What governments have done is provided subsidies to privately owned organisations to provide childcare and then add a fee on top of these subsidies. And what we've seen is the wholesale destruction of the not-for-profit childcare sector. And what happens when a government subsidises a basic necessity like childcare? Although many entrants may enter a new marketplace at the beginning, within a decade, the whole industry is dominated by three or four corporations who then have the market power to set prices. So now we have the ridiculous situation in this society of a couple having to work so that they can put their children in childcare and the wage earned by one, one part of that partnership, of that couple, directly goes into paying childcare costs. While corporations, which are publicly listed on the stock market, rake in taxpayers' dollars as well as dollars from the people they provide a so-called service to. 
And it's occurred in every aspect of our lives. Look at education. We've seen government-owned instrumentalities turned into quasi-corporations which obtain money from the taxpayer as well as from the private student and as well as from students who are subsidised. You move across to old age. You look at the old age sector. And let's remember, Australia is an ageing population and more and more Australians are going to need access to aged services. But when you look at aged services, especially the hostile nursing home sector, it is almost totally dominated by four large corporations who have been able to outflank and buy out the not-for-profit sector because of government regulation which has basically left the not-for-profit sector in the wilderness. Look at essential services like gas, electricity. Same story. Privatisation. The privatisation cancer spreads into every aspect of our daily lives. It's one thing to allow the private sector to dominate an area of human activity which is not essential for human survival. It's another thing to let the private sector, the corporate sector, not the mum and dad business, but the corporate sector, dominate essential services. And this is a cancer which has spread right through society. Look at the financial sector. Totally dominated by three or four large corporations. Look at food retailing. Totally dominated by three or four large corporations. Even the United States of America, the home of the brave and the three and the lunatics, even there, there are antitrust laws which prevent one corporation from owning more than 25% of a particular field of human endeavour. So privatisation is a cancer. But cancers are curable. The damage caused by cancers can be limited. We've seen that in the medical world in the past two or three decades where diagnoses which would lead to death have now seen cures as well as improved outcomes for large numbers of people. But a lot of effort, energy, research, money has gone into finding those cures finding ways to minimise the damage caused by some cancers. Not all cancers, some cancers. But as far as privatisation is concerned, we as a people, that's right, we, you, me, the rest of us, we have allowed, we have allowed governments which we elect, we can't point the finger and say, oh. 
It's a dictator. They do what they like. We ultimately do elect these people. We ultimately believe the lies and the bullshit and we elect them. We have allowed them to feed the privatisation cancer. Feed it. Drip feed it. Force feed it. And why? To create ever-increasing profits for the parliamentary puppet masters. That small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. So if you're an activist, if you believe in putting public interest, the interests of the many, before corporate interests, the interests of the few, you are a cancer fighter. You are a foot soldier in that struggle to change policies which starve the privatisation sector and create an economic system which is based on the satisfaction of real, not manufactured human needs. You are at the forefront of that struggle because today we are the only people that are fighting this cancer because most Australians and anybody in authority and most people you know, in the corporate sector believe there is only one way via which to deliver services to provide certainty to people to improve their lives and that's through privatisation and corporatisation. So these are concepts which have very real impacts on Australians and we are part of that struggle to cure that cancer, to cure the cancer of privatisation. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscar, I'm hosting today's program. Well, you know, they're starting to listen. The corporate sector is starting to get a little bit upset about social activism. You see, a lot of activists have understood that what really keeps publicly listed corporations, and when I mean publicly listed, I mean privately listed, corporations which are listed on private stock market exchanges, which keeps them operating, is your money. And if you think you haven't got any money, think again. If you've got money in a compulsory superannuation fund, they're using that money to create situations which oppress you. That's the beauty of it. You have a compulsory superannuation. Most of that money is reinvested, over 50% is reinvested in the stock market to give oxygen to the very corporations which exploit us as individuals in a society. And social activists over the last decade have realised that if you can decrease the amount of money which is flowing into a private corporation, for example, the coal industry, that when investors realise 
that these corporations aren't going to make a profit, they will desert them. Because the great thing about being an investor is you have no loyalty, none whatsoever, to the company your money is invested in. You're quite happy to move it around in order to find the maximum return. That's what capitalism is all about. So social activists are beginning to have an impact on the corporate world in terms of where the money rivers flow. And the corporate world is getting upset. They're getting upset that other people who are not in the business of making a buck can actually determine whether they do or don't make a buck depending on their social and economic policies and the damage that particular corporate venture does to the community. Because capitalism is about creating ever-increasing profits irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. They don't give a shit about the costs involved as long as they make a buck. And obviously the cigarette industry is a classical example of that situation. And the asbestos industry. Because they expect the public through the taxation system, which is mainly, mainly over 70% uh, funded, by pay-as-you-earn taxpayers, not the corporate sector, not these great corporations which continue to tell us that they are the ones, not the corporate sector. So we've got an option. Social activism, which tries to turn off the money tap to corporations whose who damage individuals and regions and states have now become public enemy number one as far as the corporate sector is concerned. And irrespective of the number of public relations companies they employ to sanitise their image, social activism is beginning to pay dividends. And they know, because now they're organising in a big way to prevent social activists from having impact. And they will do that by putting pressure on their parliamentary puppets to pass legislation to limit, limit the effect that social activists can have on corporate profits. Amazing, isn't it? Listening to the Anarchist World this week. You know what a Ponzi scheme is? Well, it's named after a gentleman called Mr Ponzi. And uh, it's a very simple scheme. It's a beautiful economic scheme. I wish I thought of it, but unfortunately I'm too stupid to think of things like this. But a Ponzi scheme is, is when you say you've got an idea, right? You float it in the public and you ask them to send you some money, Right? And you actually haven't got anything at the end of the day. You, you, there's nothing there. There's nothing there except this concept that somehow you are going to increase people's money. So you put your money in a Ponzi scheme and 
And whether you get a return or not is initially dependent on how many other people put their money in the same scheme. Because the person who organises the Ponzi scheme um, pays off the new investors by using the money that the old investors have put in. And it gets to a critical phase where the whole scheme falls apart because there's no economic activity which is related to the scheme in the first place. So it's actually not producing anything at the end of the day. Now, I've noticed that the big thing these days is Bitcoin in cryptocurrencies. Now, cryptocurrencies, and Bitcoin is just one example, which is pretty successful at the minute, is basically a Ponzi Ponzi scheme. It relies on people's ability to sell this thing onto somebody else and to somebody else and to somebody else and to somebody else. You don't get interest from Bitcoin. And although you can use Bitcoin in some limited situations, it's not supported by, you know, some nation state. So in many many regards, this Bitcoin cryptocurrency financial explosion, which we've seen over the past few years is nothing more than a fancy Ponzi scheme. You get to a critical level where you can't sell it on, on sell it to somebody else, so there's no return because there's nothing physical to back it up. Think about it. If you're bought into the scheme now, maybe you should think about pulling your money out. You've made a buck. Move on. Because it's not a physical entity. You can't eat it. You can't wear it. You can't hug it. You can't make love to it. Think about it. This is the Anarchist World this week. Broadcast by the Community Radio Network. Now, I know we'd be having you know, a lot of financial stuff today. And, you know... I'm concentrating on financial stuff because, see, issues come and go. They come and go. We had marriage equality, reached a crescendo. It's no longer an issue, okay? We've got the 26th of January. It'll reach a crescendo in the next decade or so, in the next few years. They change the date. Comes and goes. Although they're important issues for the people involved, they're not fundamental to the type of society we have. And as activists, most of us get involved in issue-orientated politics, and I'm just as guilty as the next person about being involved in issue-orientated politics, and I'll talk about that later on in the program. But as activists and anarchists and as radicals, we want fundamental change, not just to peripheral issues, but to the foundations of our society. And our society's foundation is based on the concept of private property. It is based on the concept of exploiting other people's labour to enrich yourself. It's based on the concept of using capital to enrich yourself. So it's based on all these concepts. So as a radical activist, I'm interested in transforming the economic basis this society is is built on. Not just issues. 
issues come and go. And one issue is gone, there's another issue takes its place. But as far as that fundamental change is concerned, there are very few groups and individuals who are involved in that fundamental struggle to radically alter the way we interact, the way society functions, the way wealth is distributed, the way wealth is created, the way we satisfy human needs. And obviously, this particular fundamental struggle is sidetracked into, into, you know, into issue-orientated struggles constantly, constantly. And that's why I was involved a foundation member of public interest before corporate interests. And public interest before corporate interests is an organ, a political organisation which is based on the concept, the interests of the many, that's the public, should always be foot the interests of the few, which is the corporate, corporate world. It's a very simple concept, but it seems to be a very hard concept for many people to grasp. So they float off into issue-orientated campaigns. I mean, you could spend your life on issue-orientated campaigns if that's what you want, fair enough. But there will be no fundamental changes to the type of society we have unless we tackle the hard issue of the way wealth is created, how it's distributed, the question of who owns what, who makes decisions, how decisions are made, but the centralisation of power, the centralisation of wealth in the hands of fewer and fewer people. And the extraordinary thing is in the 21st century, all we are seeing is more and more concentration of power in fewer and fewer hands and more and more concentration of wealth in fewer and fewer hands at the expense of the majority. In Australia, we have a buffer. I call it the debt buffer. We have around 30% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive. They rely on the taxpayer. They rely on the taxation system to survive. And the key word is survive. That's what they rely on. If they didn't get their government payment every fortnight, big trouble. But it's enough to keep you off the streets. That's why it's called a social security benefit. It's not welfare. I mean, welfare is an exceptionally derogatory term which we hear our politicians of all political persuasions use ad nauseum. It's a social security system. It's a system which has been put in place to ensure there is security in society. Because if people don't have the basic necessities, you have crime, you have dislocation, you have violence, and the list goes on and on. So it's a social security system. So one in three Australians are living on less less than four or about $400 a week, $500 a week maximum on the most generous social security scheme, which is the disability support pension. And from that, you've got to find accommodation, food, medications, electricity, gas, and the list goes on and on. And then you have the buffer. The Australian buffer, the big buffer. You have about 
about 60% of people like you and me, you know, idiots. That's what I like to call myself, an idiot. People who go to work, pay their taxes, do the best they can and survive by borrowing. Whether you borrow to uh, buy a house, have a break, pay for your kids' education. So we become tied in to the financial system. We become hostages. But we want the system to continue. Because through borrowing and paying interest on what we borrow, we are actually able to continue our lifestyle for a few decades. Hoping that values like property values will increase so at the end of a working life we can actually use that increase to fund our retirement. So you've got this huge number, about 60% of the population find themselves in that situation. And then you have the 10%, 10 to 12%, who love the privatisation, deregulation, corporatisation, privatisation agenda which has been pursued by governments at all levels, which has created a class of people in this society who use this country's investor-friendly laws to not only make money, but more importantly, not contribute to the nation by legally not paying taxes because of investment strategies they are able to follow because they have disposable income, whether that disposable income is through borrowings or whether it's disposable income they have through uh, investments, it doesn't matter. They're in that situation because there are laws in place. As I said, there are no laws in place which tend to tackle the issue of privatisation and, more importantly, corporatisation. We actively encourage privatisation at a federal level. If a state government privatises a state-owned assets, it gets a 15% bonus from the federal government courtesy of the Australian taxpayer. So this is the situation we find ourselves in in 21st century Australia. You've got one third of the population which is never going to move out of the situation they find themselves in. You may find a few percentage here and there will be pushed off Social Security benefits, but the great majority will never leave that situation. Then you've got the 60% who are tied into the system, hog-tied to the system, through debt, and then you have that 10 to ten to 12% who are part of that newly created investment class. Then you've got the 1% who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication who are making whoopee. And if you think I'm making this up, we don't lie on the anarchist world this week. We don't need to lie on the anarchist world this week because the the world story is so extraordinary that we do not need to lie. We don't need to lie. I mean, it's there, black and white. Unfortunately, most people can't seem to see it. Or, I'm sure they see it, they just don't want to think about it. 
because it's not a pleasant thing to think about that we're going to, you know, you're going to be in debt for the next 40 to 50 years of your life that you're going to have to work to pay off that debt in order to have the basic necessities and a little bit of a luxury in your life. It's not a pleasant thing to think about that you're basically a, a wage slave. And it's not a pleasant thing to think about that you're going to be stuck in, a, in an onerous social security system where you've got to jump through constant hoops in order to be drip-fed at the end of the day. It's not a pleasant thing to think about. And obviously, I think, you know, I, I think 90%, to 100% of people know what's going on. It's just a matter of actually saying, look, hey, this isn't good enough. We're all citizens. We're all residents. We all, we're all on this continent. We need to share the wealth that this continent creates. That's what we need to do. So... Look at Greece protests about the European Union saying, well, the World Bank, I've forgotten which one it is, saying, you want more money to bail out of the debt which we created for you? You need to introduce laws which curb strikes. And I thought, how funny. People in Greece are protesting about laws which limit the ability of workers to strike. But in Australia, we love it. We think we're a free country. You go on a wildcat strike and see what happens to you. There are laws in place which can bankrupt you. There are laws in place which mean that people who go on unauthorised strikes outside an agreed enterprise bargaining agreement period can be jailed. We don't have the right to strike in Australia. What do we do about it? Well, we said, tut, tut. When we saw overtime payments removed from some of the most poorly paid workers in this country in the retail industry, what do we do? Oh, well, tut, 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 tut. No riots in the streets. Tut, 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 tut. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Austerity. If it's Tunisia... Riots regarding austerity. Greece, protests regarding austerity. Australia, shrug your shoulders, move on. Let's look at the peripheral issues. Let's not look at these fundamental issues which define us. Let's not look at that. Let's look at the peripheral issues. Let's put all our heart and soul in the 26th of January or marriage equality or some other issue. But let's not look at the fundamentals. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you think I'm lying, wage growth, lowest in 25 years. We've now got the ridiculous situation in Australia that the wage growth achieved by people in unionised industries is actually less than those in non-unionised industries. Not that it's much in either industry, 2.1 in in unionised, 2.2 non-unionised, extraordinary. I mean, the unions have now been legislated out of existence by successive governments who saw the unions as an imposition to their mates in the corporate sector, creating ever-increasing profits. And as we saw the unions tied, hogtied, shackled by legislative requirements, we've seen wage growth disappear in this country, disappear to such an extent that even the head of the Reserve Bank 
is warning governments that if wage growth does not increase, workers will actually not have the money to buy things. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Capitalism will grind to a halt. What a tragedy. Horrendous. Horrendous. Now, I said before, proactive campaigns. And we've got a number of proactive campaigns on the go. The first one I'd like to talk to you is about the Tanaminawai Mōbōhina commemoration, which will be held this Saturday, starting at midday, at the monument which was erected in 2016 to Tanaminawai Mōbōhina, two Indigenous freedom fighters who were publicly executed outside the old Melbourne jail on the 20th of January 1842, for having the audacity to take up uh, uh, take up arms against the colonisers. What evil people. What evil people. They took up arms. Horrible. Had to be executed to set an example of the rest of uh, Aboriginal Australians and Torres Strait Islanders. This is what happens if you take up arms against those who exploit you, who murder you. So the Tanamarium... Tanaminawai Mōbōhina commemorations are changing in terms of their emphasis. Initially, when the committee was set up in 2006, it was about trying to roll back the lies that were being peddled by the Murdoch media and the Howard-led government about the fact that colonisation was a very pleasant, simple process. There was no murder, no dispossession, no massacres, no extermination, no forced removal of people, no forced removal of children. It was just a very pleasant exercise. And if you talk about fake news, and I don't use that word, I find it offensive, if you talk about lies, we were so disgusted by the lies that were actually being peddled by government and the mainstream media regarding the colonisation process, the Tanaminawai Mōbōhina Commemoration Committee was set up not only to raise the profile of these two men who had disappeared from the pages of the history books, who were hung for the heinous crime of resisting white colonisation, but we wanted a significant interactive public monument erected to them in a major capital city. And after a campaign which lasted uh, over a decade, that monument was erected in late 2016. So we achieved many of our goals. So the the flavour or the essence of the commemoration is changing. And while people are talking about changing, you know, Invasion Day, what we're talking about on the 20th of January is about a day to commemorate all those men, women and children, hundreds of thousands of people who were slaughtered both directly and indirectly and who continue to bear the brunt of the colonisation process to commemorate and honour them on the day that Tanaminaway and Mōbōhina were hung by the colonial justice system because of their 
open armed resistance to the colonisation process. So it is a commemoration of everyone who died in that struggle, of those who died to protect their lands, their language, their culture in every part of Australia. It is a day of national remembrance which should be held across every part of this land. A day of national remembrance. Because if you need to if you want to go forward, we need to recognise the past. So bring your children to the commemoration. It starts at twelve midday, sharp. The first hour will be broadcast on, on Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. That's 3cr.org.au. Uh, KND, 3KND, the Aboriginal station, Aboriginal Australia Islander station, Indigenous station, radio station will also be uh, there on the day. We just welcome you. There'll be guest speakers. There's a host of guest speakers, including, I think, uh, Lydia Forbes, uh, um, Munarong Elder Carolyn Briggs, uh, Robbie Forbes, uh, Councillors uh, Watts from the Melbourne City Council, Jackie Watts, Councillor Rowan Lepart from the Melbourne City Council. And then hopefully we'll have a bit of an open microphone. But at one o'clock, we'll be walking down to the Queen Victoria Markets to what we believe is their last resting place. Not just the last resting place of Tanaminawe and Mulbohina, but the last resting place of Agaputra. He was also a hung during that period and three Irish men who were also hung during that period, publicly executed. Now the monument is actually at the execution site. If you can't make it on the day, I encourage you to visit the monument. The Indigenous garden which has been planted there is flourishing. There's a fair bit of work going round on round the monument regarding um, building a new underground railway station, but that'll be over any sooner or later. So come down on Saturday, bring your children, bring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags with you, uh, there'll be guest speakers, and then at one o'clock we'll walk down to the Queen Victoria Markets to their last resting site, and also bring flowers with you. It's important you bring flowers to lay on the monument at their last resting site. So as I said before, this is not just about Tanaminawe and Mulbohina. They paid the ultimate price under the European justice system under the law of the land, the British law of the land. But there were tens of thousands who were slaughtered indiscriminately so that people could steal their land so they could raise sheep and cattle. It's that simple. Raise sheep and cattle, make a buck, get rid of the original inhabitants. So on that day, on the 20th of January, which I hope is a day which will grow organically across this country, it is a day of commemoration of all those people who laid down their lives or who were slaughtered to begin the colonisation process. The reverberations of that slaughter, of that colonisation process, which lasted for over 130 years on this country, there were people still being indiscriminately slaughtered, Aboriginal people in West Australia in the 1920s. That's uh, less than 100 years ago in order that their lands could be claimed. So join us, 20th of January, 
If you can make it on the 26th, join that particular protest. That's a reactive protest. This is a proactive. We create the action. We create. We're not reacting. We're telling people this is what needs to be done. End of story. We're not reacting to something that's happening. It's the same with the... So this Saturday, midday to 2pm, midday to 1pm, at the memorial... Walk to the Queen Victoria Markets. A few few more speakers down there. That's the action for the day. If you can't make it this year, make it next year. If you can't make it next year, make it the year after because we want this ceremony, this commemoration to grow, not just in terms of Tanaminoe and Mulbohina, but in terms of everybody who died during that colonisation process and in terms of the ongoing issues which are there as a direct consequence of that colonisation process. And if we cannot acknowledge the past, we could never work to resolve these issues in this country. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. The site is the corner of Victoria and Franklin Streets, near the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology, just across from the entrance to the uh, Old Melbourne Jail. It's at the corner of uh, Franklin and uh, Victoria Street, and then we'll walk down uh, Victoria Street uh, and then Franklin Street down to the Queen Victoria Market site where we think the men are buried. And the other thing that's in the pipeline is that for the last six months or so, we've been um, negotiating with the uh, Melbourne City Council in terms of doing an a non-intrusive archaeological survey to see whether those people are buried at that site because uh, if they are, maybe they should be repatriated back to the original country. Think about it. All right, let's move on. Let's move on regarding housing. Again, housing is fundamental, isn't it? Now, this is... Look, this will concentrate on the Victorian... Victoria, but it's it's basically is the same in every state and territory in this country. What we've seen is the privatisation of the public housing sector in one form or another in many of the states. Not all the states, but many of the states. So the concept of public housing is not to provide housing just to people in an emergency situation, but the concept of public housing was to provide housing to people who would never be able to afford housing in the private marketplace so that housing wouldn't be a burden on people. And in Victoria, if you're in a public housing, you pay 25% of your income as far as your rent is concerned. Okay, So it's a very fair concept. If you go into the private housing sector, even if you get some, a little bit of government assistance in terms of rent allowance... What you pay is not determined by your income, but it's determined by the market price at that particular point in time. So somebody who's earning $200,000 a year could easily afford to rent. Well, somebody who's on a Social Security benefit, say, of $800 a fortnight, or if they're on New Start allowance of $500 a fortnight, would find it almost impossible to rent in the private marketplace. So the whole concept of public housing was to provide housing which was state-owned, state-managed to people who couldn't ever buy in the private sector. And why? It's not just about a roof over your head. It's much, much more than that. You think about it. 
you're in rental accommodation, especially if you're younger, especially if you've got a family, your life is on a knife edge. Because once that lease expires or once the landlord or landlady wants to come back and sell that property or once they want to go back into themselves because you've paid it off for them through rent, all the links that you've formed in that community are broken. The schools your children go to, the sporting clubs they go to, the social interaction you have with the people around you is all destroyed and you've got to start again, which has a negative impact on children. So the whole purpose of public housing is to provide secure, not talking about security, housing security, but secure housing for people at an affordable cost. And with the privatisation of public housing, what we are seeing is that principle being thrown to the winds and we are allowing the private marketplace to dominate that sector of human activity. In Victoria, 20 years ago, there were roughly 60,000 public housing units. 20 years on, when the population has increased by over 25%, we still have only about 62,000 public housing units. So we're talking about 3% of housing accommodation. We should be talking about 20% of housing accommodation. So the Defending Extend uh, Public Housing Group has a radical policy. It's a very simple policy. You don't need to have an Uzi submachine gun in your pocket. You don't need to have a, uh, you know, uh, you know, bombs in your belfry. It's a simple policy. Last year, last year, over $24 billion was collected in stamp duty around the country. Now, what is stamp duty? Well, stamp duty is the tax a person pays when they buy a home. And that duty is paid up front. It's incorporated into the sale. You don't pay it over 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, like rates. You pay it up front. Of that $24 billion, $6 billion was collected in Victoria. $6 billion. Now, if you earmark through legislation, not through revolution, through legislation, if you earmark every cent which is raised from stamp duty to provide to manage and build or spot purchase public housing, you could house over 20% of Australians in secure public housing where they pay 25% of their income to secure that housing within a decade. Within a decade. Simple mathematics. Simple mathematics. Within a decade. So that's our proactive campaign. It's not just a matter of resisting the destruction of the public housing sector. It's about building it up by ensuring that money which is collected by state governments through stamp duty is quarantined for the expansion of the public housing sector. Whether whether that's done through building or spot purchasing obviously is a matter for debate. But it's about quarantining those resources for public housing.
Think about it. This is the extraordinary thing about 2018. I mean, I should be talking about more radical things. But unfortunately, with the change in ideology, the change in people's expectations, the domination of the public debate by issues and by the privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation, deregulation brigade and by the issues brigade, people aren't talking about these fundamental issues anymore. Fundamental issues which can be achieved not through violent revolution but through simple parliamentary change by us putting pressure on legislative assemblies and councils to do the right thing by the many. That's the people they represent. Not by the few, not by their parliamentary puppet masters. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scanner. I've been hosting today's program. A few things to remember. One, 20th of January, midday, the Tanaminawai Mallborhina commemoration at the corner of Franklin and Victoria Street at the Monument uh, at uh, in Melbourne. Come and come along, bring the kiddies, bring the children. They need to be educated about what's going on. It'll be a uh, family-friendly event. Come along. Also, don't forget, if you want to find out what I'm doing, go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. You won't find the colour of my underpants. You'll find nothing about what I do privately, but about all the things that I'm involved in. Come along to them. Enjoy yourself. Get involved. Have a laugh. Don't forget, dinner at the Conjo Ethiopian Restaurant every Wednesday night, 6pm onwards. You buy your own food and drinks, come along. If you expect a heavy discussion, you won't get it. But come along, enjoy yourself, meet like-minded people. Other websites, PIBSI, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Download the, download the application form, join Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Anarchismedia.org, anarchismedia.org, see what we're doing. As I said, the Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. You can always write to me. Yes, I do get occasional letter. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. And if you want to talk to me, well, leave a message. 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week via the Community Radio Network across this country, north to south. Thank you. Remember, the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Send the podcast to your friends. Send the podcast to your enemies. The more people listen to the Anarchist World this week, maybe the more sense there'll be in the world. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction. Death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.